0: Sir Eli, as you know, I've been interviewing eminent scholars associated with the Faculty to preserve aspects of its history. The name of Lauterpacht is one that has been associated with the Faculty for longer than almost any other, 1938 to the present day, exactly 70 years, and its legacy is something of which the Faculty is justly proud. The Lauterpacht Centre for International Law, which you established, is a monument to the great contribution Sir Hirsch and yourself have made to international law at Cambridge and worldwide. In these interviews, I hope you will recount memories and anecdotes that define your professional and academic career, and at the same time, take the opportunity to recall aspects of your father Sir Hirsch's life and achievements as seen from a unique personal perspective. Could we start with your early life and interweave memories and anecdotes about the lives of your father and mother prior to your arrival in Trinity College in the early 50s? Later we can deal with your academic achievements at Cambridge and your professional activities from the 1950s to the present. Finally there'll be an opportunity to talk about your published work and at that stage Perhaps we can include more about your father's ideas because you have produced extensive compilations of Sir Hirsch's manuscripts and papers. So starting then, in the first section, can we deal with the period before you were born? Do you have any memories, Sir Ellie, your parents told you of their early lives?
1: Well, I can uh, tell you about their early lives. (laughs) Obviously I have no memories of what transpired before I appeared. But um, my father was born in a little village called Zholkyev, which is about 25 miles east of a, a major city in those days called Lemberg. It was the capital of the easternmost province of Austria-Hungary, namely Galicia. And uh, when he was about 10 years old, the family moved from Jolkiv to Lemberg uh, so that uh, <coughs> Uh, he might be better educated. He went to school in Lemberg and uh, <coughs> remained there from about, I suppose, uh, 1900. He was born in 1897 and he remained there until, I suppose, in, in his until about 1905 or thereabouts. Then he was in Lemberg from 1905 until eventually he went to uh, Vienna in 1919 uh, to pursue research. And uh, there he, he worked under uh, uh, distinguished uh, international lawyers, Kelsen and Strisova. Uh, he, uh Even then he became interested in the relationship between domestic law and international law and in the role of the individual. And his particular field of study was the, the mandate system, which was then emerging from the the League of Nations and in 1922 or thereabouts he met my mother who was studying piano in Vienna. She she was a gifted pianist but unfortunately I didn't continue it very much after she married my father. But He met my mother and uh, they got married in, in Vienna in March 1923 uh, there was a brief interlude when they went to Germany for my father to do further research uh, and after that in 1923 they came to, to England and they settled in London where my father uh, attended the London School of Economics. It was there that he met Arnold McNair who was the Uh, currently then teaching at LSC and and he and McNair got on very well together. McNair recounts that when my father first appeared in McNair's office in the LSC my father spoke rather poor English. McNair told him to do something about it and my father then uh, rigorously attended lectures for three weeks and came back speaking English. McNair was quite amazed. And uh, so my father was then enrolled as a, a research student at the London School of Economics <coughs> and uh, he began work on his first book which was called Private Law Sources and Analogies of Public International Law uh, and he produced this thesis by 1927 and it was published to much acclaim because it was a, a novel and interesting work and uh, on the basis of that he obtained an assistant lectureship at LNC and round about then after having lived in various places in North London, they uh, moved to a house, a rented house in Cricklewood, 103 Warm Lane and it was there that I was born on the 13th of July 1928. So my father was then uh, uh, as I say, lecturing at LSC and he continued with his work there and between 1928 and 1933 he produced probably his most important and renowned work The Function of Law in the International Community (coughs) and then, on the basis of that work, he was promoted. He became a lecturer and eventually a reader in international law at LSC. In the meantime, McNair had moved on from LSC to Cambridge, where he had become a professor of international law in 1935, after uh, Pierce Higgins retired. And uh, <coughs> then, in 1937, McNair accepted appointment as vice chancellor of Liverpool University, and uh, so my father, uh, with McNair's encouragement and support, was appointed to uh, the heel Chair here in Cambridge in 1937, and we all moved up from London to Cambridge.
0: So Elie. Can you tell me why it was that your father Sir Hirsch decided to come to England in the first place?
1: That's a very good question. Um, I don't have any direct evidence for the answer I'm about to give but I'm pretty certain it's right. He did not like Poland because by 1919 uh, Galicia and Lwów had reverted from being a province of the Austro-Hungarian Empire being part of Poland Uh, and and generally he found uh, that the um, feelings uh, of the people there towards Jewish people were not entirely agreeable and so I think he he, had made up his mind because he was a a thinking and perceptive person that he wanted to make his life outside Poland. So that's why he went to Vienna for research and why he uh, and my mother came on to England very shortly after they were married uh, I, I, I think he wanted the the more liberal and uh, atmosphere of, of the United Kingdom at that time
0: and he chose to come to the LSE what made him decide on on this
1: this was because I'm sure LSE was really the only place that he could come to where there was any uh, a real Uh, prospect for an international lawyer. Uh, uh, There was not much going on at the other establishments, University College, King's College and so on. LSE also had an international law library, the the Fry Library, which had been provided with monies from Sir Edward Fry, who had been Lord Justice of Appeal. And so it, it had the resources he needed.
0: I see. I was reading that At the time when they were in London, your mother was quite keen to return to Palestine, but that Lord McNair prevailed upon her uh, not to persuade your father to do this. Do do you recall this at all?
1: Well, I don't have any direct knowledge of it. But, of course, as I say, my father uh, and mother continued to live in England, uh, and and he was always uh, sympathetic. to to the Zionist cause and uh, in due course in 1948 when he was in New York uh, he played some role in the drafting of the Declaration of Independence of the emergent Israeli state.
0: Interesting. So you mentioned Sir Eli Lord McNair during this period do you have personal recollections of him?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, first of all, of course, he wasn't Lord McNair then. He was, he was Dr. Arnold Duncan McNair. Yeah. He only became Lord McNair after he ceased to be President of the International Court many years later. But um, McNair and my father became very close friends and McNair used to visit the house from time to time. And I remember one occasion, I suppose I must have been about between three and five years old, as McNair came to tea at our house in Warm Lane and my mother had uh, bought a nice cake and it was sitting on the table and I was very really anxious to get a slice of it so I thought the only way to to, to get into the cake was to offer some to a, a so I obviously must have said to him something like would you like a piece of cake and he smiled and replied Oniswa Himali pass shame be he who evil thinks <laughs> and uh, so but uh, we always had a very good relationship, McNair and I and as he grew older I saw more of him but he was he was a very considerable person
0: Sir Ellie your father had his fair share of critics legally including uh, names like Brierly, Schwarzenberger, Friedman, Carr. Did you ever meet any, any of these?
1: Yes, I. I, Briley, I, I have no recollection of having met. Uh, obviously, uh, <coughs> my father thought highly of him. When when Brierly died, my father uh, edited uh, a collection of his his articles, which was published under the title The Basis of Obligation in International Law. But I really uh, haven't got much more to say about Bradley, except that he and my father did not have the same views about the fundamentals of international law, though obviously my father admired and respected Bradley. Uh, Now, as to Schwarzenberger, that's a rather different story. Uh, Schwarzenberger did not come to England until, I suppose it must have been uh, the late 30s as uh, as a refugee from Germany. But he came with a... Uh, uh, a burden, I might almost say, of um, uh, Teutonic um, uh, uh, philosophy. He was a he was a person who thought that the teacher knew all. Uh, He was not a flexible person. He was a very nice man. But as I say, he was not uh, easy to get on with. And for some reason he decided to (coughs) have a a kind of feud with my father and uh, <coughs> uh, he, uh, uh, they fell out, well it is, he didn't fall out because my father wasn't interested in having a feud or falling out with, 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 with Schwarzenberger. But uh, <coughs> uh, over, over the, the punishment of war cr- criminals and the, the defence of superior orders, uh, I don't have the details at my fingertips now. But uh, uh, Schwarzenberger uh, and my father did not get on. Right.
0: Interesting.
1: I I met Schwarzenberger when I myself began lecturing at LSE back in 1951 or 52, Uh, And he was always very nice to me. Uh, And uh, (coughs) I I had no uh, particular animus against him, nor... Indeed did my father. It's just that they didn't get on and my father uh, kept his distance. Yes.
0: Any recollections of Carr? Carr. E.H. Carr? Yes.
1: Oh no, I uh, my, my own recollection of E.H. Carr is limited to the period in his later life when he was a, a fellow of Trinity and I was a fellow of Trinity. Uh, we have a, a special fellowship at Trinity for distinguished scholars and provide them with, uh, with accommodation and, and, and living uh, uh but i never had any intellectual contact with car
0: well that brings us to your own early life beginning in 1928 and covering the period from 28 to 1940 do you have any memories Sally of your life while your father was at the London School of Economics. Does anything stand out?
1: Oh yes, but we had a very nice family life. We lived happily together at 103 Warm Lane. Uh, <coughs> my father used to go off to LSE each day. Uh, initially he would drop me off at Kindergarten, King Alfred School near Golders Green Station. We would take the, the tram Uh, from Cricklewood to Golders Green and then a walk up the hill to King Alfred School and then my father would go on to LSE I suppose my mother must have picked me up from school but uh, it was a period notable only for the fact that I spent most of my time on the slide at school and my mother had repeatedly to patch my trousers from being Hmm. worn out uh, but it was a happy period. Uh, sometimes on a Sunday, we would, uh, my father would take me out for a walk in Hampstead Heath. or the three of us would go uh, on the train out to some place like Aylesbury or Amersham and, and walk in and picnic in the hills there. My father had made a number of good friends at LSC. You know, I, I can't remember exactly who they were, but I know that on one occasion we went out to visit them uh, in the in the country near near Frinton and uh, certainly uh, as the years went by we visited Frinton for holidays several times. I, I remember particularly the period around about, must have been 1934-35 when my father was preparing for his bar examinations and we he, he rented a house in Frinton, this is Frinton-on-Sea in, in Essex he, he rented a house there and uh, also one of those little uh, beach huts uh, by, by by the beach and uh, my mother and I used to go down to the beach hut in the morning and there I would play with, with friends that I made on the spot he remained in the house and got on with the preparation of his bar exams and then he would come down to the beach round about lunchtime having stopped off at the local Sainsbury's and got things like ham and tongue and things that we would enjoy for lunch and we would have lunch together and then he would go back and and do more work.
0: It sounds delightful.
1: Oh it 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 was a nice life yes and of course by then I was growing up 1935 I was already seven years old and was going to school in London. Uh, the The Hall School, which was in Hampstead, uh, I would get there on the school bus, or it really wasn't a bus; it was just a a large motor car that would pick up several of us and, and take us off to school. And it was a very good school, uh, and uh, I enjoyed it uh, until we came to Cambridge in 1937.
0: So. Do you have any memories of your life in pre-war Cambridge?
1: Oh yes, pre-war Cambridge was a, was a very nice town. And it was, uh, of course, not as big as it is now. I think the population was then around about 44,000. And uh, it was a safe town. Uh, one didn't have the concerns that one has today about letting a young person out on his own. And I cycled round a great deal and became acquainted with the town. Uh, I went to school here. Uh, there's a, uh, we lived in Cranmer Road, uh, which is uh, uh, just off Grange Road, behind or near uh, the university library and behind where the present law school is. And uh, I, I went to school just round the corner at King's Choir School, as it was then called. It's now called King's College School, but it was a school that Kings had founded many years previously for the education of the, the choristers of Kings. And there were a number of day of, of boys there. And so I, I went there. And the headmaster at that time was a rather formidable figure, Mr. Fidion, uh, And uh, he, he didn't stand for any nonsense. And I tended to be slightly uh, undisciplined and uh, talkative. So I came in for my fair share of, of, of punishment but nothing too terrible. I got whacked a few times but, but uh, I stayed at King's Choir School from our arrival in Cambridge in 1937 until I was evacuated to America uh, towards the end of 1940.
0: Right. So before your evacuation um, life in wartime Cambridge do you have any Recollections of that.
1: From well,
0: 19, 19, uh, 19.
1: Cranmer Road was a very agreeable road. In those days, the hierarchy of professors was much more highly regarded and respected than it is today. There were fewer professors. I think at that time in came in the university, the whole of the university, there were only about forty-two professors. Gosh. So uh, a professor was quite s- uh, significant and distinguished person. It had um, its own special social rules. For example, when uh, somebody came to Cambridge uh, for the first time, like my mother was coming, it was the custom that other ladies would call upon her uh, at, uh, I think, uh, tea time. Uh, They would come with their visiting cards, with the corner turned down, for some reason I don't quite know, and they would come and have a cup of tea with my mother. And my father uh, would work at home. He had a study in the house at number six Cranmer Road. Uh, and, uh, but he was not party to these, these ladies' uh, visits. Uh, and uh, Cranmer Road had some uh, notable uh, residents. At number three, there was somebody called Mr. Hutton, who was not really part of the university, but he'd been a, a former. Colonial servants. I didn't see anything of him. At number five, which is now the High School of the Research Centre, is uh, there was a family called Stanley. Uh, two brothers and three sisters, all unmarried. Uh, one of them, one of the brothers, was a solicitor in Cambridge, and they had. They, they were obviously well off. They had domestic staff, uh, a chauffeur, gardener. And a, cook housekeeper and so on, and their presence in the road was marked by the daily excursion of uh, the person whom we called Two-Stick Stanley uh, she was a very agreeable lady, as she perambulated from number 5 down to the pillar box just outside number 13 and at number 7 there was a, a, a lady whom I didn't really know, I think her name was Miss Macaulay And so on down the road, and then uh, at number 13, there lived uh, Professor Winfield, who of course was one of the luminaries of the the law school, a very nice man, a charming wife and a lovely daughter, and she had, I remember, beautiful Irish setters. And then beyond there, there was uh, the house where uh, Sir Ernest Barker, a well-known professor of political science, lived with his wife and two children. Uh, And uh, then further down the road, though a bit later in time, there lived uh, Professor Razinovich, the the criminologist. That was on the, uh, so to speak, the left-hand side of the road, and on the right-hand side of the road, (coughs) next to us at number 4 Cranmer Road, there lived the Regis Professor of Hebrew, uh, Professor Winton Thomas, who had previously been professor of Hebrew at Durham. Uh, He was a very large man. He'd been a rugger player. He and my father uh, were were, were quite friendly. And then uh, at number 8, on the other side of of the house of my parents, there lived uh, a former provost of kings. Uh, And and so on down the road. It was everybody knew each other. And this was in the years, of course, uh, uh, just before the war. Then came the war and uh, soldiers were billeted in the houses. There were quite a number billeted at number eight. We didn't have any soldiers billeted in our house, but we were required to provide accommodation for students from London School of Economics and other London University establishments who had been evacuated to Cambridge. So our house had uh, two young women from LSC.
0: Right. Gosh. It sounds like an idyllic childhood.
1: Oh, it was very nice. I I was very happy. And uh, as I look back on it, very happy.
0: Sir Hirsch's Carnegie Endowment for Peace Visiting Professorship took your family to the United States in 1940. Do you have memories of this translocation, Sir Ellie?
1: Oh, yes, indeed I have. Uh, as, As you say, my father was invited by the Carnegie Endowment to take it, uh, a visiting chair in the United States. He was reluctant to take it up because he did not give the impression that um, somehow he was fleeing the situation in the UK but he sought advice from the Foreign Office and uh, Sir William Malkin who was then the legal advisor and others in the Foreign Office urged him to go because they believed that he could do much to (coughs) um, turn uh, United States opinion in academic circles uh, in favor of the United Kingdom. There there were quite a number of isolationists in the United States at that time and so they encouraged him to go and uh, we we all went in October 1940. Uh, We we, we left, uh, uh, we had tenants who remained in, in the house in Cranmer Road, uh, teachers at the School of Economics. And uh, we went off, and we sailed to the United States on a liner called the Cilia. Uh It was quite an exciting time. Uh, we, we took a train up to Liverpool, and Liverpool was being bombed regularly at Gosh. that time, but fortunately, on the night that we were on board the boat, uh, we were spared uh, bombardment, and we started off. Uh, my father kept a, a rather amusing little diary of, of the of the journey, which I will, uh, in due course, use in the the biography of him that I am trying to write.
0: How fascinating!